turn with me over to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Last week we began a study in, in prayer and focusing on the prayer that God hears. The prayer that God hears. This week we're going to talk about Jesus being the vine, the Father being the vine dresser, and we being the branches. John, chapter 15, we're going to read verses 1 through 7, and then verse 16. Jesus says, I am the vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean, verse 3, because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, verse 5, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain. So whatever you ask of me in the Father's name, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Lord, help us as we study. Jesus begins to use a metaphor of agrarian practice to describe what it's like to live in him. And he describes himself as the vine. I don't know if you've ever planted a vine before, but they grow where they want to grow. You can do what you can to direct them, but they grow where they want to grow. They sprout where they want to sprout branches. My dad had us as kids growing up, I'll say it this way, he had a garden that he owned and claimed. We worked it. <laughs> it was my job to weed it, to water it, to cultivate it. He took pride in telling everybody that it was his garden. That's what daddies do. And there were, were some things he enjoyed, zucchini. I don't like them to this day. <laughs> Zucchini are kind of like huge cucumbers, except don't taste like cucumbers at all. And they require that they kind of grow on fences or poles. And we had to plant them near a fence so that the vines could grow up, and they get big. I mean, you want to get them when they're about a foot long so they're tender, but uh, we weren't near as faithful at harvesting as we should have been. And so some of them got to be this big, and they were this big around. And my dad would can them just to be sure that we enjoyed them for a long time. <laughs> the vine grew where it wanted to grow, up, around the fence, sideways. The vine, and, and Christ has a mind that says he knows how best to grow. The root system tells the rest of the plant which way to go. 
The branches do not have a will of their own. The vine decides what they need to get and where they need to be. He is the vine. He is the one from whom we receive all life. The vine itself is planted in the ground, and it receives nutrients from the soil and water. When I was younger, I I thought that plants got watered by you watering the top of the plant. I thought water just seeped into the leaves and the branches. It it wasn't until I got to be a teenager that I realized, oh, it's down there where the water gets absorbed. And and, and the root system begins to get all the stuff necessary for the branches to be what they should be. This is why it is painfully obvious, and I'm not trying to insult your intelligence this morning, that you become attached to the vine. Because that's the only way you're going to get the kind of nutrients necessary to survive spiritually. You cannot do anything all by yourself. And I'm not talking about just theological attachment. I'm talking about practical attachment. Theologically means that you are only there mentally. You understand something about him dying and rising and him being Lord and God and that he is who he says he is in the Bible, but you're not quite sure what it means to you and how it affects your parenting, how it affects your husbandry, your, your, your being a wife, what it means to your personal life and morality, your finances. You're not attached like that. You're only attached theologically. So you come to church, and I'm glad you're here, but you come to church on a Sunday, and that's about it. You plug in for an hour out of your 168 a week. And somehow you think you're supposed to, to, to thrive on that? God wants us to be attached fully, 24-7. And the father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser is the guy who makes sure the, the vine is, is growing the way it should. He cares for the vine. He cuts off sucker branches that simply take nutrients but produce no fruit he makes sure that no weeds are competing for the nutrients in the soil and the water the vine dresser is constantly looking over the vine to make sure that it is as healthy as it should be and may I say that the vine dresser is very vigilant he's diligent he doesn't close he doesn't sleep on you he doesn't sleep on the vine he is constantly attending it to make sure that it bears as much fruit as possible. Now, Jesus is the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. There ain't nothing wrong with the vine. And and, and the vine dresser knows what he's doing. So why don't the branches look a whole lot like the vine? Look a whole lot like what the vine dresser wants. What's wrong with the branches? If you talk in an elementary way, rudimentarily, most folk don't have problems with the vine. Unbelievers don't have many problems with Jesus. Unless you are demonic in your orientation. Generally speaking, you like what Jesus did. Fought against the status quo. Stood up to the man. Revolutionary against stoicism and hypocrisy and bad government and oppression. 
He was vibrant in trying to help people, active in trying to help the poor get out of their poverty. If you were sick, he wanted to heal you. If you were blind, he wanted to open your eyes. Everybody kind of likes who Jesus was. The vine, they don't have much problem with. The vine dresser, they don't understand. But us, they don't even like. They call us hypocrites. Why go to church? I can do what they do out here. There's so much about us that makes the world not want to be anything like us. They don't want to be anything that theologically describes what church is. They'd rather go ahead and have their own little religion. Make up their own idea about what it means to be attached to God. They cannot stand organized, institutionalized worship. And so they don't join on a regular basis. They don't participate. And they rarely have their ears open to what God wants to say. Why? Because we branches just don't act right. Now, the Father is actively trying to make sure that the entire vine, branches included, look like what he intended. And that's why Jesus began to talk about what it means to be attached and unattached. Two categories of branches, non-abiding and abiding. Non-abiding and abiding. Non-abiding branches. First of all, it says, if, if, if you don't begin to abide in me, you get removed. Now, you would think that a non-abiding branch would already be removed. But see... There are branches out there that think they're attached. They are religious in their orientation. They've got a theological mindset, but they have no relationship with Jesus. And those who believe they are attached, what God says is he is going to make it evident that they are really not. He says he removes non-abiding branches. He takes them away so everybody begins to see that they really are. Circumstances begin to evidence the fact that you really, if you are a non-abiding branch, are not abiding. You may not even know that you're not abiding until a circumstance helps you understand it. You know those circumstances that come about where you are tempted then to say words that don't sound Christian? Those circumstances that come about that tempt you to do things that aren't Christian. Those issues that come about in your life that lead you the wrong way because your soul is not under the lordship of Christ because you are not intentionally attached to the vine on a regular basis. Now, I'm not talking about you good Christians, though you may be tempted to go that way. I'm talking about those that are theologically and mentally assenting to what Jesus has said, but have not recognized him as their Lord in practice. All they're waiting for is Jesus to come and save them from all the ditches into which they drive on a regular basis. Calling up regularly the tow truck of the Holy Ghost. Please, come deliver me. The only time they ever talk to God is when they're in trouble. When they can't get out of the situation into which they got themselves. God have mercy on those folk who seem to be attached but are not. He will make it evident what they are not. Why? 
because he is merciful in that way. He would rather have you live in reality than deception. And reality allows you to see how far you have to come because you had no idea how far you were away. And so he allows that to happen. He removes you. And, and if that didn't get your attention, he then says the branch dries up. Because you've been removed, a branch no longer is attached, life doesn't flow. There's nothing coming into it, and so it dries up. What happens when people don't experience what they want from God? If they aren't attached, they get bitter. See, there's no life flow from the Spirit anymore. There's nothing coming in. They, they, they don't want to come to church anymore. They don't want to read their Bible anymore. They start drying up, shriveling. They don't want to pray. They don't want to fellowship with the believers. They don't want to talk about God. All they are is angry. It didn't go my way. And they get drier and drier and drier and drier. Until God says, I throw them on the fire. And they get burned up. Now, I don't know exactly all that this means. It sounds bad, though. It just doesn't sound good. I mean, you get burned up. That doesn't sound like a fun thing. So you want to try to stay away from this. But I can tell you some of the, of the, of the repercussions of this and how it impacts other people. See, when somebody gets thrown into the fire and, and, and we're... We're seeing the consequences of their disobedience in action. It has an effect on folk. Jesus talked about salt. And he said, you are the salt of the earth. And salt is that before refrigeration, which would be used to stop corruption. So when decay came into food, especially meat, salt would stop it immediately. And so you would salt the meat if you wanted to save it. It was savoring in its orientation, not just flavoring. Well, when the salt lost its ability to savor, it no longer was able to stop corruption. Jesus said, what is it good for? Except to be thrown out into the street and trampled underfoot by men. Now, what what did he mean by that? Well, Israel had winters, just like we do. And they realized that salt lowered the freezing temperature of water, just like we do. So when the winter comes and you get ice on your sidewalk, what do you do? You go to your local hardware store, buy some salt, sprinkle it on there, and all of a sudden you're able to walk because it lowered the freezing temperature of water. Jesus said, that's all salt is good for when it's lost its ability to stop corruption. When believers no longer have the ability to stop corruption in its tracks, whether it's in their life or anybody else's life, all they're good for is to be thrown out into the street to help other people get traction. To get to where they need to be. And specifically speaking, the priests would use it to make sure in the cold times that folks could have a pathway right to the house of God. And so when I see people who have lost their savor, are no longer able to stop corruption in their own life and everybody else's, and I watch the consequences of it, I say, Lord, help me. I don't want to be, I don't want to go that way. I do not want to go that way. And and I don't I don't need to see it in everyday life. I pray to God it doesn't happen to anybody I know. But I can look in Scripture and find some folk I don't want to wind up like. Samson. No, 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 no. The brother is commended for all of his strength and power and being able to, to, to beat up an entire army 
A thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Not only, not only a, a tool ill-equipped for the task, but a tool doubly ill-equipped. You would have thought that maybe he could beat up an entire army of a thousand men with the jawbone of a lion. At least there were some incisors there. <laughs> some ITs, some pointed fangs, something to... But donkeys, all they have is molars. What you going to do with molars? <laughs> and he defeated a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Powerful. Great. Yet, didn't have a sense of morality at all. Hung around with women who worked at night. Was a mess. Had no friends. We don't see one friend that stuck by him. His only friend married his wife. I mean, that's really bad. That, that, that was his friend. Read the story. It's, it's, it's a mess. He was a gambler. He liked to drink when he shouldn't have. He didn't regard his consecration as being really something he needed to hold on to. And he wound up, he wound up committing suicide to give, to give a victory to God. Lord, I don't want to go like that. He provides traction for me every day in my walk with God. Every day. And when I think about branches that are thrown into the fire, I think, boy, that's providing some illumination for me in my dark times. I see the judgment there. And when, and, and, and when it's dark in my life and I can't figure out which way to go, I know which way not to go. At least I know that. I'm not doing that. Secondly, on my cold, my frigid moments, times when I can't feel the warmth of Almighty God, I, and, and I might be tempted to do something I'm not supposed to do, I realize over there is, is, is what I should not do. And it provides warmth for me in the midst of my messed up life. And th th hear me. I'm, I'm a fan of saying this. But when things aren't going well, sometimes it's just really encouraging to realize you ain't going to hell. I mean, that, that, that is the eternal perspective on what it means to have some kind of view toward what fire looks like and folks that are being judged by it. When things are not going well with me, when ministry is not going like I like, when family is not going the, the, the way I think it ought to go, when, when, when my own soul is trying to lead me in the wrong direction, I discipline myself to get up in the morning and say, at least I'm not going to hell. I thank God for that. So that's what burning does for me. Now, if you happen to be in the category where you are in danger of being thrown into the fire, I'm begging you, listen to what I'm saying today and get reattached to the vine. Don't just pretend anymore. Don't be a front runner. May God help you to have the lights come on in your brain so that you can serve him with integrity. Then there's a blessing of those who do abide, the abiding branches. It says that the abiding branches need to have, they not only need to be attached, but they need to be branches that have someone abiding in them. He said, if you're abiding in me, then I abide in you. Yes. The indwelling Holy Spirit, 
The presence of God in my life. Oh. See, sometimes, even though I am, I am, I am practically attached to Christ, I mean, I, I work really hard at disciplining myself to be a good Christian when I don't feel like it, to worship when it's inconvenient to do so, to praise him when things are going bad. I practice being counterintuitive and disciplining myself to do the right thing when I don't feel like it. But it's not about my discipline that makes me a good Christian. Ultimately, it's that he is making me a good Christian. No, don't, don't, don't miss it. You need to do right. You need to do right every day. But you need to understand that the only way you can do right is if he abides in you. It's not about your good works. It's not about you just trying harder. It's about having the inspiration of Almighty God, him sitting on the throne of your heart that allows you to live this life well. Human beings can't do it. Christianity is the only religion in the world that cannot be lived by people. People cannot do it on their own. That's why God said, that's why Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you, you got to first die. You got to die. Because there's no way you can do this, if, do this if you still live. The only way to do it is if you die and now I live through you. The only way we can live this life is if he lived, because he's the only one that lived it perfectly. He was the second Adam that repaired everything the first Adam did wrong. He lived without sin. And the only way we can live in victory is if we allow him on the inside of us to inspire our outside actions, our outside words, our thoughts and intents. He must be in us. It's not about just us abiding in him. It's about him abiding in us. And even when I am not very Christian in my orientation, because he abides within me, I am prompted to repent in a hurry. I am convicted by the Holy Spirit, and I say, God, forgive me. Had he not been on the inside, I would have been snipped. Are you listening to me? This is the essence of what it means to be a really good Christian. It's not just you abiding, though you need to abide. It's about him abiding in you. Beautifully, when you abide in him and he abides in you, you bear fruit. Now, there are three categories of fruit he talks about here. He says, every branch in me bears fruit. And then he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. And then in the end, in verse, verse 5, he says, I want you to bear much fruit. So it's our responsibility to bear fruit, to bear more fruit, and to bear much fruit. What's your crop look like on a regular basis? Do you have any harvest to present to God? I mean, you're waiting for a harvest, I know. Some of y'all waiting for a financial harvest, waiting for your ship to come in. You're waiting for a relational harvest. I need a man in my life. <laughs> Every woman said. I'm sorry I even got to make that qualification. You wait for some kind of harvest to come to you. Do you know all of heaven is waiting for your harvest to get to them? Yes. 
What have you given God? What has been produced in your life? What do you have to present him? Leviticus said, when anybody appears before him at the tabernacle, let no one come empty-handed. On a regular basis, what do you bring to him? What do you bring? Are you always on empty when you come? Trying to get a hookup? Lord, it's been a bad week. I need the pastor to tell me something good today. I need Tiffany to be on today, Jesus. I need, I need an hour worth of help today. Is it always? I don't mind you having a moment like that. Everybody gets a little weak, but is it always like that? Are you always empty? What do you present to God? There's fruit that, that, that the Bible talks about. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. It contrasts the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 19 through 23. And the fruit of the Spirit is something that, that we need to, to cultivate. It doesn't just come. It, just like all fruit, it must be cultivated. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Which means, even though there is a law against the prior things regarding the, the deeds of the flesh, envy, covetousness, immorality, divisiveness, anger, bitterness. He says all those things, there are laws against it. Don't do that. But against the fruit of the Spirit, there's no law. Which means, if you find yourself running out of patience, get some more. Get some more. You can have as much as you want. As much as you want. There's no law against Find yourself running out of love. You find somebody who, anybody have anybody unlovable in your life? Somebody you're really challenged with, to be with. Oh, Jesus, help me today. I mean, when you see them, when you see them, <laughs> when you see them, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me. <laughs> uh, and he does want to help you. Get some more love. Take another bite of fruit. Character. It's developed in your life. What, what are you presenting to God on a regular basis, a harvest? And not just fruit of, of, of the spirit that's, that's typical of God's character. But what about the fruit that you need to have from your impact on others? How are you changing your community? How many people are you winning to Jesus? Who are you influencing toward righteousness? What kind of fruit? Are you going to have a throng of people behind you? He said, when you come into glory, that are able to say, Jesus, I, I praise you. I thank you for everything you did. I see the nail prints in your hands. I see them in your feet. It's amazing, but, but I want you to know I wouldn't be him, be here if it weren't for him, if it weren't for her. You inspired them and they obeyed. I thank you for them. Is there anybody that can say that about you? Who are you going to present to God? What kind of fruit are you going to... Fruit, more fruit. Much, if you abide in him, this is what naturally happens. Now, the, the, the branches that bear fruit get the privilege of hearing the electric shears come to your life. And those are scary because you're not quite sure where, where the vine dresser is going to stop. What you coming with those for? I'm doing this fine. I'm looking real good right now, God. Or maybe it's just the snips. 
Boy, those are scary. And what does he come to do? He comes because the, the, the branch is bearing lots of fruit. He says, I want you to bear even more fruit. So I'm coming to prune you that you might bear more. There are, there are branches that begin to come off from you that are pretty and you enjoy, but they're unfruitful. And you might like them, but they're unfruitful. I was talking with somebody yesterday who was saying, you know, my wife and I, we really love God, but, but we, like, we like to dance. And I can't find any place where we can, like, go dance. My wife really likes to, and she's, she's willing to go someplace that plays music that demeans women, you know, that vile. And, and I, I, what do you do about that, Pastor? I say, I don't go. <laughs> well, how do you, I say, I get my own party in my house going. I'll throw a party with my friends, and we'll have a good time together. And I'll throw on Luther because he helps a brother. <laughs> Luther will help a brother. Yes, he will. But I'm not, go- I'm not going to entertain myself with stuff that, that is vile, vulgar. And I said, you need to that off. You need to cut it off. It's unfruitful. It might be enjoyable, but it's unfruitful. And there are a lot of things like that in your life. You just need to cut right on off so you can bear more fruit. And not only does he prune you, but then as a result of pruning and bearing a lot of fruit, he says this. <laughs> this is the fun part. Now, all along, you, this whole sermon, you've been saying, what in the world does this have to do with prayer? This is it. You bear fruit like this, much fruit, fruit, more fruit, much fruit, you can ask whatever you want, and he'll give it to you. I had a tree growing in my backyard about 12 years ago, 15 years ago. We were living in a rental. It was an apple tree, and it was only about 10, 12 feet high. And um, as it grew, there was one particular branch that had 40 apples on it. So when you talk about an apple tree only 10 to 12 feet high, this was, it looked like a sapling. But this one branch had 40 apples on it. It had more apples than all the rest of the tree combined. And I said, this is going to be interesting. I'm going to watch this thing. And the tree grew, and, and the branch, as it had these 40 little buds of apples, the branch went from here to here to here. Now, it was only, I measured it, it was only a half inch in diameter. That's it. Here to here to here to here. By, by the end of July, it was perpendicular to the ground. Excuse me, parallel to the ground. By, by harvest time in September, the tip of the branch was touching the ground. And it had bowed all the way down. Luscious apples. And the diameter of the branch had increased by two. It had doubled from a half inch to a whole inch. Well, see, there was a conversation going on between the branch and the root system. The root system said, boy, you are amazing. You, you're really helping us. You're bearing great fruit. And the branch was saying, yeah, I got a lot of fruit, but I don't have a lot of support. I'm only a half inch. I got 40 apples on me. You're going to have to give me some more stuff in order to bear all this fruit. I need more nutrients. I need more resources. I need more water. I need more everything. You have to grow me up so I can bear all this fruit. 
And the root system said, absolutely, because you're the point of my existence. And so the branch said, I'll go ahead and keep this fruit, and I'll keep bearing more fruit. The point is this. When you begin to bear fruit for God, have a conversation with him about what it takes to keep it. He'll give you everything you need. You start bearing fruit in your neighborhood, and you say, guys, I got six people want to come to church, but all I have is a Camry. a little Kia. I mean, it gets me there, but it can't get them there. God will give you a new car. You have a conversation with the root system. You get whatever you want, because now what you want is for the benefit of the kingdom. Start bearing fruit for him. Start localizing and centralizing your life on making sure you are fruitful for God and your prayer life will be one affirmative response after another. These are the prayers that God hears. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, I love you. I thank you for your goodness. There is nobody like you. Help us to be fruitful branches, please.